All right. We have completed the primary Christian cycle of holy days. Uh, They begin with Advent and Epiphany and then move through Lent and Holy Week. And then we count the seven Sabbaths towards Pentecost. And the week after Pentecost is Trinity Sunday in the West and the Sunday of All Saints in the East, which is what today is. The period from Pentecost to the new church year at Advent is a time when the church calendar is filled with days of remembering and celebration of saints. Both the Eastern Church and the Western Church have a day to remember all the saints. For the Eastern Church, it's today, the week after Pentecost. For the West, it's the last formal holy days of the church year, November 1st and 2nd. November 1st being All Saints Day, November 2nd being All Souls Day, one being for the martyrs and the other one being for those who have died in the Lord. These religious memorial days really are like bookends for the common time or the ordinary time uh, of the summer and the fall. Now Judaism has its most holy days during this time, Yom Torah or Rosh Hashanah, uh, followed by Yom Kippur and then Sukkot. Those biblical holy days are generally misunderstood by the church for two reasons. First, much of the meaning of the high holy days are understood through the lens and the, of the life and ministry of our Lord. His identity as our great high priest and provider of atonement is seen in Holy Week, specifically Good Friday, which is really the Christian day of atonement. Uh, then the resurrection The ascension, 40 days later, at the 50th day, Pentecost, as he enters into heaven, presents his blood to the Father, and the Holy Spirit is given uh, at Pentecost. These biblical holy days, then, uh, are focused on that first part of the Day of Atonement, and for much of the church, they see no point in observing Yom Kippur and the others. Secondly, uh, while those holy days really are related to the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom. They have a tendency to not see that because the, the period of Advent is really about both comings. Uh, and you see that in the songs and the scriptures that are read. So, uh, for one reason, there's somewhat of a partial fulfillment that for the church feels like it's full fulfillment, and therefore they simply don't see the need of Yom Kippur and the other holy days. The second reason is that there's a general replacement theology found in Christianity, which is connected to and reinforces an anti-Semitism that's still a problem among Christians and Jews. And one of the reasons that we as a Judeo-Christian congregation observe all the holy days is to be able to see them really in 3D and to understand them in that context. So... Today we begin ordinary time, a period when the church remembers and learns from the saints, those who have gone before us and who have the testimony of God on their life. The saints are those who have lived between the first coming of the Messiah and the approaching return, and they are the ones who have finished their journey here and rest in anticipation of the resurrection and their reward. So we have to start with, what's a saint? Now, Coming out of both the Protestant side of the tradition and the free church tradition as a Baptist congregation, you don't generally hear much about saints among Baptists, unless they're African-American Baptists, and then they might have a St. James Church or one of those things. But you just don't hear about it as much. 
in part because of the Protestant Reformation trying to address some serious problems that had happened in the Western church related to these things. So the term saint is an English word which is really taken from a Latin word, uh, sanctus. Uh, They're based on the Hebrew word kadish or kadosh as we have sung holy and the Greek word hagioi or hagias which means holiness. Each of these words means holy ones and refers either to angels or to God's people uh, as holy. So in some sense, all of us are saints, and Paul so uh, writes in his writings to the saints that are at Colossae or wherever he is writing. But the church and Judaism have made a distinction between the general notion of holy ones and those who are recognized as such by their religious traditions. Now, the difference, though, is they use different words. Judaism does not generally use the word saint. They use the word tzaddik. Now, you know that word. We do tzedakah, which is giving of uh, uh, something to someone who needs it, which is based on the Hebrew word tzedakah, which means justice, righteousness. So the Judaism calls those who have lived a particularly godly life tzaddiks or righteous ones. Um, They even talk about righteous Gentiles, those who helped Jews in the Holocaust, and they use that term. Christians traditionally use the word saint or holy one uh, to describe these. These are related because the scripture tells us that we are to be set apart, holy, and that we are to do right, to be righteous. And so the religion of Judaism and Christianity is a religion of being holy, set apart to God, and to be righteous, to obey God in doing good to others. And so they simply are emphasizing one over the other, but they're the same idea. So in some sense then, uh, uh, we are all called to be holy and we are all called to be righteous. And uh, Because a holy person will do what is right. If you do what is wrong and you're holy, God will get the blame. If you do what is right, but you're not holy, you'll get the credit. So Jesus said, you must let your light so shine, holiness, that men will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven because they know you're doing it as your connection to Him. And so the term saint can be any believer. Don't call me Saint Bruce. I don't, I don't work well with that. Uh, but we generally talk about those who have passed uh, and those who have been identified as particularly living godly lives with that term. Now, we begin to see this notion in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want you to take a look at it. There are in Judaism and Christianity lists of zodics or saints that are people who have lived lives of example that we can learn from as they struggled with the Lord so we can struggle with the Lord too. Now, the danger is we don't take their lives as doctrine. That's one of the problems. If you take their lives as doctrine, you then begin to pull away from the scriptures. The scriptures are where we get our doctrine, but people who have lived godly lives can be examples to us of how to struggle with faith 
and with persecution and other problems. So, in chapter 11, the scripture says, for, uh, in verse 2, By faith, men of old gained approval. Now, the word approval here means testimony. God placed a testimony in Jacob, the scripture says. God's story is being told in his creation. And we are unique in that creation in that we were created from the dust of the ground. God breathed into us the breath of life so that we have aspects of us that are of the creation and aspects of us that are of God. We've then been born again by the Spirit of God and His Spirit indwells in us so that both the creation and the Creator have their focal point in us as the Imago Dei, as the image of God. And therefore... Our activities and our actions are a manifestation of God in this creation. And so these men that are being talked about and women in this chapter were seen as having the testimony of God in them. Now we give testimonies of God in us. Uh, And our lives are to be a testimony of God to others. Uh, And that is why these people are called witnesses. They're not being called witnesses uh, because they have their story to tell, but because they have God's story to tell that has come to them. Just like a witness in any situation experienced something and now gives testimony to it, we give testimony to God in our midst. That's why we do that in our service and what we should do when we share with other people in that context. So, the testimony of God that is in these people are found. Uh, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice, verse 4. By faith, verse 5, Enoch was taken up that he would not see death. Uh, Verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned about uh, God uh, prepared an ark. By verse 8, Abraham. Uh, Verse uh, 11, Sarah. Uh, Each one of these are mentioned. And then he goes on to talk about others. In verse 20, he talks about Isaac. He then talks about Jacob. He then talks about Joseph. He then talks about Moses. He goes on and he keeps talking about all of these. And he says, I can't talk about everybody. Verse 32. Time would fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Shmuel, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of death, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now that's the abundant life. Don't we like that? We like that list. That list is great. I want that testimony of God in my life. The testimony I want of God in my life is after a half an hour of suffering, a miracle occurs, and then I become a testimony to God's miraculous power. But that's not the only testimony of God in us. He goes on then and says, Others were tortured, not accepting their release, so they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. It's not the... Colorado version. It's being rocks thrown at them. Uh, They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Look at this testimony. 
men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. The idea is that when we suffer in this life as a believer, or we are victorious in this life as a believer, the testimony of God is in us. That is why in the book of Job, it's the idiots who think when he's suffering that God is not there. God is as surely there in the confirmation of Silas as in the death of Braden. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's and nothing separates us from that. We learn from the saints. We learn from those who have walked before us how to suffer, how to live victorious, how to live in gain, how to live in want. I can do all things through the one who strengthens me, Paul says. That is the message of the saints. Their testimony is God has been faithful. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews. You don't look at the saints to follow the saints. You look at the saints to follow the Lord. Paul says, follow me as I follow the Lord. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, these who have finished their course, who have walked with God and are no longer among us, all testify to the same thing. In life and in death, he has abided with us. In the good and in the evil, he has been faithful. There is nothing that will separate us from the love of God, good, bad, or ugly. And we therefore can trust him. So he says, let us then lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Very easy when things don't go well to say, I think I'm having a faith crisis. A faith crisis is when you begin to doubt God because you think God is not. And is not a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A faith struggle is when you know God can make it through this. You're not so sure about you. Okay? That's a different thing. Braden's illness was never a faith crisis for us. But every day was a faith struggle. The term Israel means to struggle with God. That's what this faith is about. It's not about living in victory all the time, but it's not about never having victory either. It's about, that's why we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. The total experience is our heritage for the day when eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the imagination of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. 
It's not about here. It's, it's about there. So, Jesus says that the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. So endurance somewhat means there's going to be difficulty, right? The book of Ecclesiastes. Life sucks and then you die, right? I mean, that's a, that's a commentary, but that's basically what the book says, right? It says vanity, but you get the idea, right? Uh, so that's what it is. And the longer you've lived on this globe, you, the more you know that, right? There's a lot of stuff in here, right? So, I want to look at two passages of two of the saints who were nearing their death and hear their testimony and see that their testimony is about them and God and what God has done. We begin with Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Peter says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Peter says, I'm going to write it down, I'm going to teach it. I'm going to write it down, I'm going to teach it. I'm going to write it down, I'm going to teach it, so that when I'm gone, my testimony will still be here of what God has done. And if you read his books, he's talking about what God has done. Second one is Paul in Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four, verse six. I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering. It's an interesting notion. The Drink offering was poured on the actual offering. It accompanied the offering. Um, in, in some sense, the, there were two things had to be put on every offering. Salt and wine. So it was marinated and salted. So that the sweet savor would go to the Lord. The wine and the salt were incidental to the sacrifice. And Paul says, I'm a wine offering in that sense. Okay? And he says, I'm already poured out, uh, in that sense, as a wine offering. Uh, now I've lost my place. Okay, verse 6. Uh, but the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me, that future is the resurrection, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So, Paul says, both Peter and Paul maintained their faithfulness with God throughout their life. Not perfectly, we know that. They were men. But they sought to be pleasing to God 
to the end. And that should be our testimony as well. Now Jesus talks about this. And I, I'm trying to keep my time. So I'm going to shut this down quickly. But in Luke's uh, gospel chapter 9. At the end of the gospel. Jesus has some people that aren't quite ready to follow him. And it's important to see that uh, struggle with this life. Uh, that is part of our own struggle, particularly in a culture that is about self-sufficiency. They were going to the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 57 of chapter 9. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Count the cost. Another, he said, Follow me. And he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, his father wasn't dead. He said, wait till my other obligations are done and then I'll take care of following you. And he said, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another one said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say goodbye to those at home. You know, I've got to clean up all my stuff and then I'll follow you. And Jesus said, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This focus, and we see this in the lives of the saints and the Zodics, is one where God was their passion. They didn't abstain from life, but life didn't take the priority. This is seeking first the kingdom of God and letting these other things uh, follow afterwards. So, in some sense, our goal is also to follow what the saints have done. They have fought the good fight. We're going to fight the good fight, that struggle of faith. They have finished their course. They have rested from their works. We also will finish our course. We have, we have scads of children to turn into adults in the next 10 years. We're going to be doing these confirmations as rapidly as we did the dedications. And we're not done with the dedications, right? Amazing what we're going to see in the next 10 years. We must remain faithful. And they have kept the faith. Uh, Many of you know my brother Tyrone, the black family that uh, took me in. Tyrone always, never talks to me without saying, keep the faith, brother. That was a big statement in the 60s, but he loved that thing. And he's always doing that. I think every time I hear those words or read them, I hear Tyrone's voice saying, keep the faith, right? Uh, That's what brothers are for. That's what family is for. That's what congregation is for. That's what the saints are for. We need each other. We need those who have gone before to give testimony that the testimony of God may remain in us through our children and our grandchildren until that day comes when we see him face to face. Let's pray.